Hey guys, welcome to another episode of True Crimes and Weird Times. I'm Kim. I'm Ashley. And today, I'm going to be telling you the story of a three-year-old girl named Riley Fox who was kidnapped and murdered, and how the terrible police investigation that followed the crime prevented the real killer from being apprehended for a full year. Riley's parents, Melissa and Kevin Fox, met in high school. The couple dated for a while, then shortly after Kevin started college, Melissa became pregnant with their first child named Tyler. The couple lived in Wilmington, Illinois, and in 2000, three years after Tyler was born, the couple was married. A year later, Melissa gave birth to her second child, a daughter named Riley. Oh, so now they have a full family. By all accounts, Kevin was an amazing father. He loved both his kids and absolutely doted on them. (laughs) He even had this little cart that he attached his bicycle and he would give Riley rides around the neighborhood in it. Oh, that's so cute. So in 2004, Riley was an adorable, happy little girl who loved dressing up and she loved watching Dora the Explorer. (laughs) The weekend of June 5th, 2004, Riley's mother, Melissa, had traveled to Chicago to do a breast cancer walk. Now, she rarely left her kids for the night, so this was one of the very first times she had done it. So it was a pretty big deal for the family for her to be gone. And the night before the walk, which was a Saturday, Melissa stayed with some friends at a campsite in Skokie. Meanwhile, that same night... Kevin actually also had gone to Chicago to see a concert with a couple of his friends. Oh, okay. So he had left both the kids, Tyler and Riley, with Melissa's mother Mm -hmm. while he went to the concert. And then he came back and picked the kids up around 1 a.m. Now, he loaded the kids in the car. They were probably already sleeping (laughs) or at least falling asleep in the car. So... By the time he got the kids home, the kids were exhausted. Kevin was exhausted. So he takes them inside the house. And rather than carry both kids upstairs to their beds, you know, one at a time, (laughs) making the bed, getting pajamas on. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yep. You know. Kevin decides, you know, I'm just going to let them sleep in the living room. So he lays six-year-old Tyler on a chair with a footrest. And he lays three-year-old Riley on the couch. Okay. He then heads up to his own room where he has a snack, watches a little TV, and goes to sleep around 2.30 a.m. with a plan to get himself and the kids up in the morning and go meet Melissa at the finish line of her walk. Oh. However, the next morning, shortly before 8 a.m., Kevin is woken up by Tyler, who tells him that Riley is missing. Oh, no. Now, Riley was not the type of child to wander off. Mm -hmm. So Kevin attempts to stay calm and he searches the house for her, but he searches and he searches and he finds no trace of her. Now, during his search, he notices that the front door was ajar. Mm -hmm. So he runs next door because Riley has a little best friend that lives next door. Okay. So he runs next door, you know, maybe she's over there, but... Still no Riley. God, that's going to be terrifying. I know. I can't imagine. Now, at this point, Kevin says, okay, it's time to call the police. Mm -hmm. But Riley hadn't really been missing that long yet, and he he didn't want to overreact. He's trying to stay calm. 
So he calls the police non-emergency line instead of calling 911. Well, here's the thing, though. She's three years old. I mean, that's time to panic. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely be panicking and calling 911. Yeah. Now, police at the time actually reassure him that he made the right decision and that staying calm was really important in situations like this. And most of the time, the child's just wandered a little ways off and they'd be found pretty quickly and it wouldn't be that that big of a deal. Okay. But as time passed, the search efforts grew really quickly. And within an hour, hundreds of people had come out to search for the little girl. They were told that she was wearing a white t-shirt with a flamingo on it and pink capri pants. Now, while the search is happening, Melissa calls to arrange the meeting at the finish line. Mm -hmm. But instead, Kevin has to tell her that Riley is missing. Oh, no. Oh, my Lord. So Melissa immediately leaves for home, driving just as fast as she could down the interstate to get home so she can find her baby. Right. An Amber Alert was sent out, and by that afternoon, more than 500 people were out searching for Riley Fox. Wow. Unfortunately, the search ended around 3 p.m. when a mother and daughter went to help search in the Forsyth Woods. Mm. While walking along the edge of Fort Creek that runs through the forest, they discovered the body of Riley Fox floating face down in the water. Oh, God. She was wearing Only her T-shirt. She had duct tape over her mouth. Mm -mm. Medical examiners also found tape residue on her arms, meaning she'd been bound at some point. And Riley had also been sexually assaulted. So a rape kit was done on her. And testing of the kit showed no foreign DNA except for a test for saliva that came back as inconclusive. Now, the investigation for this crime is one of the most infuriating things I have ever researched. Oh, my God. I can't wait to get mine. I mean, I I typed some of my notes in all caps because I was so angry (laughs) writing it down. For starters, after finding Riley's body, police didn't tell her parents immediately that they had found it. Huh. Instead, they drove them to the police station where they separated the couple into two rooms uh-huh. And they left him alone to wait for 45 minutes. What? Then they finally came in to tell the parents what they'd found. Oh, my God. While they were still separating? Yep. Oh, my God. The Will County detectives then immediately set their sights on Kevin. Uh, he yeah. was their prime suspect. And I can see that. That's understandable. Right. You always look at the person who is, you know, in the house with them first. Right. And in fact, they sent detectives to Riley's funeral to record Kevin's reaction and his behavior at the funeral home. Oh, wow. The parents cooperated every step of the way. They were allowing searches, answering questions. They gave DNA samples. They did everything they were asked to do. Okay. Now, some of their family members encouraged Kevin to hire an attorney. But after talking to one, he decided against it. And according to an article in the Chicago Magazine, Kevin felt like he didn't have anything to hide, so he wouldn't need a lawyer. And he was actually kind of concerned that hiring one would make him look guilty. Look, here's the thing. Whether you've committed a crime or not, just hire the lawyer. Always get the lawyer. Always. 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 Don't talk to the police ever 
right. without your lawyer. They're going to help you answer whatever you need to get done. <laughs> like, answer. Now, a few weeks after Riley's murder, Melissa and Kevin allow the police to interview their son, Tyler. Because, oh. I mean, after all, he was in the room with Riley. If he saw anything at all, it could be really helpful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Tyler was interviewed by a woman named Mary Jane Pluth, who worked for the Will County Children's Advocacy Center. However, she interviewed the six-year-old for over an hour, asking him the same questions multiple times. Huh. So it sounds a lot like that that daycare center we talked about before. Yes, that's all I could think about reading about this (laughs) interview, because... I was just like, they did things so, so wrong. Uh, And this was in 2004. It wasn't even that long ago. Right. So, for instance, she asked if Kevin had left the house that night. And after shaking his head no several times to the question, Tyler eventually nods his head yes. That's what a kid his age would do. Right. If you keep asking after they've given you an answer, they're going to assume that they gave you the wrong answer. Right. Mary Jane then begins asking if Kevin took Riley with him when he left the house. Oh, God. And again, the now sobbing child tells her no more than once as Mary reassures him, it's okay, he can tell her, it's fine, you just got to tell me what happened. While this child is weeping. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of pressure. By the end of the interview, Tyler had answered no approximately 178 times. Oh, my God. Later that afternoon, a detective named Michael Gifoyle, and I'm sorry if I'm saying that name wrong, <laughs> drove Tyler home and continued talking to the child. Off the record. Well, it was an interview, in air quotes. Uh-huh. Except in this interview... There were no cameras, no recording equipment. Mm. So all the evidence they had from it was written up as a summary of it by the detective. Mm, No, no. Now, the detective claimed that Tyler had suddenly became more specific and descriptive, Uh telling the detective that his father had taken Riley out of the house that night. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And when questioned further about it, though, Tyler seemed really unsure and kind of confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. And the report also said that Tyler told the detective he stood in the kitchen and watched his father putting clothes in the dryer after he returned from wherever he had gone with Riley. However, when the water usage for the night was checked, it indicated that the washing machine had not been run that night. Oh, Well, now, look, devil's advocate here. What if he was drying, like, if Raleigh was found in the water, what if he was drying his clothes and they didn't even turn the washer on? I mean, possibly, but (laughs) I would feel like I would want to really clean them. (laughs) Right. Just throwing it out there. Now, Tyler also gave some information during that interview that, (laughs) you know, definitely totally happened exactly the way he said it did. Right. And some of this information didn't match up to known facts, Hmm. such as he said his dad put Riley in her pajamas before bed, but we know that he didn't because she was found still in her T-shirt. Right. So there were little things like that that kind of indicated 
Tyler was just saying whatever he thought he was supposed to say. Exactly. That's what it sounds like. Melissa and Kevin were never told any of this, though. What? They wouldn't find out what Tyler had supposedly revealed until several months later when they interrogated Kevin. What? Another lead police were chasing was that a dark blue Ford Escape had been captured on surveillance video at the town's mobile station, uh-huh. which that was the same car that Kevin Fox drove. Huh. This would allow them to put Kevin on the route from his house to Forsyth Woods, where Riley's body had been discovered. Mm-hmm. However, Kevin's attorney would later say that upon viewing the video herself, it's never been released to the public. Okay. But upon watching it herself, the quality was not only too poor to make out a license plate, uh-huh. you couldn't even really positively identify the vehicle in question. So they're just kind of throwing things up and seeing if it'll stick. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, they're wow. like, look, a dark SUV, that's a, that's a blue Ford Escape, even <laughs> though... From the sound of it, you really can't even tell that much. Yeah. By October of that year, Kevin was pretty much the only suspect in his daughter's murder. And rumors were spreading through the town like wildfire. As it does. Yep. People talked about how the Foxes had traded in their Ford Escape for a new car. And how they had taken this lavish vacation to Las Vegas and how no reward was ever offered for information on Riley's case. Like, these were all just things they were, yeah, but look at all this money they're spending. And they got rid of the car and they didn't even offer a reward. They're they're not even upset, you know? Right. But who would want that car? Exactly. It later came out that Melissa traded the car because she couldn't bear riding in it without Riley. No. Yeah. And then the trip, the trip to Vegas, Uh it was actually planned and paid for months in advance because it was for one of their friend's wedding. Oh, okay. And they had actually offered and asked to put up a reward, but they were told by police that it wasn't necessary. Right. So see, it's just people who don't even know what's going on. So this is when police finally bring Kevin in for an interrogation on October 26th, 2004. Now, here's a little interesting piece of information that could explain a lot of things about how this case unraveled. Uh-huh. Kevin was brought in for questioning about a week before a big election for the new state attorney position. Oh, imagine that. The current state attorney, Jeffrey Tomzak, was in danger of losing after his father had been arrested and allegations were made that he had been making illegal contributions to his son's campaign. Ah, there it is. Now, the four detectives working Riley's case met up to discuss Kevin's interrogation before bringing him in to talk to him. Okay. Jeffrey Tomzak later claimed... He had absolutely no knowledge of the meeting and that politics had nothing to do with this. Sure. And there's no way they would rush to close a huge case a week before an election. Sure. Like it's never happened before. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, police brought Kevin in that night after he had been up since 4.30 a.m. working as a painter. Uh Uh-huh. So he was already exhausted when he got there at 7.30 that evening. Jeez, yeah. They interrogate Kevin for hours asking why he didn't call 911, oh, even though, remember, they commended him for that in the beginning. Right. 
And then asking him, why was your car at the gas station at 4 a.m.? Mm-hmm. Why why did Tyler say you left home with Riley and had been washing clothes? Again, water usage Rub. disputes this. Rub. They also pointed out that there were no signs of forced entry into the house. Therefore, he was the one to take <sighs> Riley out. Uh-huh. Except the lock on the back door of the house was broken. Oh. so Literally Anyone could have just opened the door. Right. Shortly after midnight, detectives took Kevin for a polygraph test, which guys don't ever, ever, ever say yes to a polygraph. Right. This guy's already been up almost 24 hours. I'm sure he's stressed. I'm sure he's tired. He is. There's no way he's going to pass this. No, but they told Kevin if he passed, he would be cleared. Mm -hmm. If he failed, he would be charged with his daughter's murder. Oh. That's not quite how that works. So Kevin takes an hour-long polygraph test at 12.20 a.m. Oh, my God. After hours of stressful interrogation, being awake for almost 24 hours straight at this point. Uh-huh. And unsurprisingly, he failed. Huh, imagine that. And at this point, police just start outright accusing him, telling him he's going to prison for life. They told Melissa that Kevin killed their daughter and doesn't love her. Oh, my God. They showed him pictures of Riley's body after she was pulled out of the creek. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm getting mad. Mm -hmm. Wow. And Kevin claimed later that one of the detectives told him that if he would admit that he accidentally killed Riley and then set it all up to look like a kidnapping... They could get him a plea deal, and he would only serve three to five years in prison. Oh, what? The detectives, however, deny this. Oh, of course. Because it's actually illegal in the state of Illinois to promise leniency to get a confession. Uh-huh. So this actually took place several months before it went into law that all interrogations be recorded. Oh, my God. So it was just Kevin's word against theirs. So I wonder if they got him in there because they knew that it was going to be passed. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it was definitely for the election. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's no way. Yeah. Finally, around 6 a.m., Kevin had been awake for over 24 hours. He'd been questioned for more than 12. He'd had very little food, and he was just defeated. Mm -hmm. And he thought about their deal, and he decided that if he could just give them what they wanted... He could get out on bail, get out of here, and get this all straightened out. Oh, God. No, 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 no. So at 8.32 a.m., detectives finally turn on a videotape, Uh and they record Kevin's statement. In his statement, he says that he went to the bathroom at some point. He opened the door really quickly and struck Riley in the head, knocking her down. Uh And it seemed as though she was dead. He then took her to his car, duct taped her mouth and arms, sexually assaulted her to make it look real, then put her in the water and went home and went back to bed. Uh-huh. Kevin's lawyer later watched the video and says most of the narrative was provided by police with Kevin simply answering yes and no. Imagine that. Not to mention they had zero physical evidence to support this story. Oh, yeah, I guess There not. was no blood in the house, no blood in the car. Uh-huh. No bloody or muddy clothes belonging to Kevin because he also says in his statement that he went down the bank to put her body in the river and that he slipped and slid down in the mud. Oh, yeah. 
but they couldn't find any muddy clothes. And if he didn't wash his clothes, right. where did the muddy clothes go? Exactly. There was no information about how a bathroom door could cause Riley to appear lifeless or why Kevin, who knew CPR, wouldn't have tried to help her. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this whole story is just insane. Look, let me tell you. It's it's unbelievable. I've never opened a bathroom door so hard that it would hurt a child. And also, both of my children have railed into walls and doors on their own. Oh, yeah. My kid has gone face first into walls many a time. <laughs> and never once has it knocked him unconscious. Yeah. Now, they've had knots or something. But yeah, never... Never unconscious. Like, this is a strange story, is what I'm getting at. Yep. Almost like it's forced, perhaps. Almost like it was coerced a little bit. Maybe. Kevin was arrested, and his bond was set at $25 million. Holy cow. His attorney, though, was Kathleen Zellner, which is a name you may know from the Netflix documentary Making a Murderer. Oh, okay. She's known for winning wrongful conviction cases. Okay, okay. So she told the family, look, don't try to get Kevin out of jail. Yeah. It's too much money. Instead, put that money towards clearing his name. Okay. Which I know was really, really hard to do to leave him in jail. But yeah, she had a good point and they probably made the right decision. During the initial hearing on the case... State attorney Tom Zach claimed that the autopsy report showed Riley was alive and struggling when she was put in the water. Oh, God. However, later, the forensic pathologist who actually did the autopsy signed an affidavit saying he had never spoken to Tom Zach and he did not share his opinion that she was alive at that point. Oh, huh. So why would Tom Zach claim that she was? Exactly. Because... It helped them form the basis to get the death penalty. Oh, yep. Tom Zach actually lost the election before the trial was held. Good. But the winner, a man named James Glasgow, had already promised the public that he planned to continue to pursue the death penalty against Kevin Fox. Ooh, not so good. Right. And now you got to imagine the whole community believes this story why wouldn't they you know the police are coming out and telling you they have the guy who did it why would they question that exactly so to stay in their favor they need to deliver you know i was gonna say and that's that was i mean perfect timing for a political stance on it zellner was working hard this whole time building a case to prove kevin's innocence Mm -hmm. they tested the theory of where kevin supposedly put her body in the creek you know when he said he was carrying it down he slipped and fell right right so they went there with a basically a 40 pound bag okay and had them carry it down put it in the water but putting it in the water there it would get blocked by debris instead of flowing downstream Uh uh-huh so they tried again throwing it off of a bridge nearby and every time it ended up in the same location that Riley's body had been found. Huh. So therefore, there's no way that he put it in the water where he said he did right. and her body end up where they found it. Right. They also looked at the bathroom door, noting how like thin it was and how there's no way. I mean, think about <laughs> inside 
bathroom doors. Yeah, well, they're hollow usually anyway. Usually. Right. And if it hit her so hard it knocked her out, you would think there'd be a great big old hole in it or something. Right. Or some but kind of no. damage. Like, even if it was a doorknob, maybe some kind of damage to the doorknob. Mm-hmm. Or at least blood on a doorknob. Exactly. But nothing else. Huh. But, you know, they're going through and looking at all these things that the police should have done. Yup. When getting Kevin's story. <laughs> right. But then Zellner found the most important piece of overlooked evidence. That inconclusive DNA test for saliva found on Riley. Mm, mm -hmm. She learned that it wasn't that the test couldn't be completed. It's just that the testing facility they had used didn't have sophisticated enough equipment to do the testing. Okay. Zellner immediately had a judge sign an order for the DNA to be sent to a private lab in Virginia. Uh But a week went by and then another week went by and three weeks later, the genetic material had never been sent. Come on. After some more digging, it came out that the DNA had been sent to the state crime lab, not the one in Virginia, and was then returned to the Will County Sheriff's Department Jeez. and put back in the evidence locker. So do you think that was on purpose? To maybe delay? Well, I'll let you decide. Mm. Let me uh, Let me tell you who did it. Oh, okay. The person behind this quote-unquote mix-up uh-huh. was a detective named Ed Hayes. He was the same detective who had ordered all testing on Riley's DNA kits be halted the day after the state attorney election because they already had their guy. Oh, my God. Well, that helped me make up my mind. Yep. Wow. Once the mistake <laughs> was discovered... The DNA was finally sent to the right place, mm-hmm. and the family waited two months for the results. Oh, God, that had to been hard. I'm sure it was. I can't even imagine. Yeah. When they finally came back, Kevin Fox was not a match. Woohoo, good. A week later, Kevin Fox was finally released after spending eight months in jail. Wow. The Fox family would later go on to win a lawsuit against the Will County Sheriff's Office, and they were awarded $15.5 million in damages. Oh, good. Which the amount was later reduced to $8.5 million, but still. Hey, a win's a win as far as that goes. Kevin said, though, that his reputation was irreversibly damaged by this, though. I'm sure. People still believed he was a murderer. Kids weren't allowed to spend the night at their house. And eventually the family ended up moving away out somewhere in the suburbs of Chicago. They don't really want anyone to know where they live nowadays. No, that makes sense. I wouldn't either. I don't blame them. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't go looking for them. So now here we are a year later Mm -hmm. and investigators have to start from scratch on this case. Well, if you wouldn't have picked. If they hadn't got such tunnel vision and so focused. Right. That's that's it. I'm not even finished making you angry yet. Oh, great. Okay. Now, the FBI has taken over. All right. So, at least that's in their favor. Yeah. So, the FBI goes out and they do some canvassing. And they end up speaking to a woman who told them about her ex-boyfriend named Scott Ebby. Okay. She didn't really have any specific information to give them Mm -hmm. like connecting him to the murder she just 
they basically show up at her door and she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. I just need to give you this name. (laughs) Okay. And apparently after the little girl was murdered, they were walking through a park where they had set up a memorial for Riley. Mm -hmm. And she said something about, you know, oh, it's so terrible what happened to that girl. And he answered and it was something like, oh, yeah, it was really a tragedy. And she noted that he didn't seem to mean it. Like he was just kind of like, oh, yeah, whatever. And it really gave her weird feelings. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Now, Scott had a very long arrest record full of burglary and other felonies. And when Riley was murdered, he lived just a mile away from the Fox home at his mother's house. Huh. Okay. They went to question him in prison where he was serving time for sexual assault. Huh. And he was, you know, cooperative. And initially, it seemed like he wasn't involved. Okay. So they talked to him. He kind of, he's very helpful. He's answering. They're like, okay, we really don't think this guy's connected. We're just going to head out. So they leave. But immediately after the agents left, Mm -hmm. he made a phone call to his mother from prison, which they're all recorded. Right, right. And in this phone call, he says, quote, I'm fixing to spend the rest of my life in the penitentiary, mom. Only thing I can tell you is the FBI came today and visited me. Okay. And that's the only thing I can say. You got to come down here, mom, so I can give you a hug and a kiss one last time, please. And that's why they're all recorded. Yep. A few days after this, Scott attempted suicide and had written a letter titled A Confession to Murder. Huh. Now, this letter is immediately faxed over to the detectives with the FBI. (laughs) And they're like, oh, what? Okay, here we go. (laughs) And they, you know, go talk to him again. And he this time just confesses in all the terrible detail about what happened to Riley Fox. Oh, God. Scott had been drinking and using cocaine that night and had plans to go out and rob some houses. Hmm, Nice. He actually broke into the house across the street from the Fox home first that night, cutting a hole in the screen door and taking about $40 from the homeowners before leaving. Huh. Okay. Oh, and the police knew about the break in, by the way. They were just so focused on Kevin Fox. They decided that it was irrelevant and not connected. You gotta be kidding me. Oh, my God. So after Scott left the neighbor's home, he discovered the broken lock on the back door of the Fox house Uh and he just walked right in. God. He says that he couldn't find anything of value to steal, but then he saw Riley sleeping on the couch. A three-year-old. That's so gross. He took her with him, drove to the Forsyth woods where he assaulted her in one of the park bathrooms. (sighs) He then realized his bandana had slipped off his face and that she had seen him. So he decided he had to kill her. Now, Scott thought that he would have been caught a lot sooner Uh for this crime. Okay. Scott himself expected to be caught sooner because he made one very stupid mistake. Uh Uh-huh. After dumping Riley's body, he took off both his shoes and threw them into the creek as well. Uh Uh-huh. Both the shoes had his name written inside them on the tongue of the shoes. What? 
And the police found them the same day they found Riley's body. Kim, shut up. They had these shoes with the name Ebby written inside them from day one, and they just never looked into it. I mean, did they have it as evidence? Did they, like, what did they do with them? Yeah, they had them as evidence. You have got to be kidding me, because literally, they knew he broke into that house. They have his name in the shoes near her body. Yep. I, I, I don't even know what to say to that. His literal name. Oh, my written God. Written in shoes. Oh, my God. Next to the body. And they're just like, these probably don't matter. <laughs> People leave shoes in the creek all the time. Conveniently nearby little little girls' bodies. Like, what? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, it's... I'm not even done. Great. He also said that he threw her clothes into the trash can outside the bathroom, but they were never found by police. Did they ever look there, though? I mean... I don't don't know uh, that they did. Why else would they not have found them? Yeah. Well, I mean, why else would... Would they look at a pair of shoes, I guess, with names written in them? And to make it even worse, police visited Scott just hours after Riley's disappearance to do a welfare check on him because a friend reported that he was suicidal. Uh Uh-huh. Upon seeing the police at his door, he immediately vomited and asked if they found the little girl yet. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't even... I have nothing for that. I'm I'm just mad. After the DNA found on Riley was matched successfully to Scott Ebby. Yeah. He pled guilty to the crime and was sentenced to life without parole in 2010. Oh, what? They didn't want to give him the death penalty? Apparently not. They were willing to give it to Kevin Fox. They sure were. Wow. That was a fun ride, Kim. I'm going to go to bed I just cannot. I cannot (laughs) imagine, like, to be Kevin, knowing that you had nothing to do with this. Knowing that your child died. Knowing what happened to her. And then... Having to... I can't... Admit to it. Having to admit that you sexually assaulted your own child. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And for police to, to have all of this stuff, DNA, they could have sent for further testing, but they didn't. Literally. They had. Right there. His shoes with his name inside them. And they didn't make a link. Like, that doesn't. Abby they is not. They spoke to him. He asked if they found the little exactly. girl after puking. I mean, they. The house across the street was broken into. They could have looked into that. I mean, they had all these pieces of evidence right in front of them that could have led them to this guy from the very beginning. But you're right. And instead, they just tunnel visioned in on Kevin Fox and forced all the pieces in a way that they didn't fit, but it made it look good. That's exactly it. They, They were trying to make it look good. They wanted it to be open and shut and done. Before an election, I guess. And and especially interrogating Tyler. Yes. Who interrogates a six-year-old like that? The whole case. I mean, the more I read about this case, just the more (laughs) infuriated I got. Because this this is not an isolated incident. Right. I mean, this happens. People get sent to jail for things they didn't do because investigators won't look at the evidence. Right. Exactly. And some of them don't get away before they have to go to trial. Right. Some of them are sent to prison or sent to the death penalty. Exactly. I mean. 
And it's just this isn't even like it's heartbreaking. I can't even I can't even make up an excuse like this isn't they literally had the evidence in their hands. Literally. Yep. In an evidence locker. You can see pictures of the sneakers. Oh, my God. Online as evidence. And they just they didn't even bother. Nope. Thanks for listening. Like us on Facebook at True Crimes and Weird Times Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at True Crimes Weird Times. Email us your stories at truecrimesweirdtimes at gmail.com. Can't wait for the next episode? Check out our Patreon for bonus episodes and more. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Bye!